Welcome. Welcome, family. This is Milk and Meat live stream. I'm your Sean host. You're watching this on Kingdom in Context. I want to thank you for being here tonight. And tonight we have part two of our Doctrines of Demons series that we're, that we're doing that we started last uh, couple weeks ago. And part two, we're going to be looking at the claim, has the resurrection already occurred? So this is a claim that even the first century AD apostles and disciples had to deal with as well. We're going to look at it tonight. But real quick, I just want to say thank you, everyone, for your... Um, Continued support and love for us, your kind words and messages, your letters. Um, so amazing. I, As always, I don't have time to write every single person back, but I try to respond to as many as I can. And I'm, we're just so grateful and encouraged by uh, folks that, that reach out to us. And as they do, it just it means a lot to us. So we really want to thank you. Lindsay and I both thank you. Um, also, if you're interested in the, uh, remember, we're still got the contact study guide ongoing. Uh, you can get early access to that on our Patreon. All that information is in the video description below. Um, other than that, guys, if you're celebrating Shabbat, I hope that you're having a good Shabbat tonight. And um, I just want to say a big shout out and hello to some of the people that are in our live chat that are here on a regular basis. Miss Marsha, thank you for coming back. Uh, looks like Hannibal's back. BK Mars, Loray Alston, Richie, Vader Bears here. Welcome. Welcome, brother. Uh, Zyalzia Thompson. I hope I said that right. She's from New Zealand. I don't know. Welcome. 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 Infinity Split to 456. Welcome. Welcome. Alan Sharon Pissarak. Welcome. Chico 1985. Aliasha. Tracy Jones. Colleen Marie. It's good to see everybody in here. Joshua Johnson. Welcome, brother. Miss Peggy D is here. Welcome back, sister. Carrie M. Welcome, everyone. And so many more. Anita Vega, Pepper Mundy, Elizabeth Baronson. Well, I hope that you're all ready. Um, I think it's been interesting seeing people's reaction to the first part of this one. Whereas, we, like we said, the whole concept of this, this series, this kind of like a mini series within the, our Milk and Meat live stream series, right? The, the whole concept of it is we just wanted to address all the false doctrines that the first century church had to address. And specifically we see in the new Testament, both Yeshua had to address a whole bunch of different false doctrines that were being perpetrated by the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, Peter, James, John, Paul, all, you know, the disciples. And uh, they all had to go out and as they made converts into the region around the Mesopotamian, excuse me, around the Mediterranean sea, they had to make converts and address all these, these different false doctrines that would pop up over the, you know, 20, 30 years as they were trying to teach them discipleship and remind them of the actual truth that we find exemplified everywhere throughout the law and the prophets. Um, so what's unique, what's been a unique experience doing this, uh, you know, making videos, praying for people, getting people's answer, people's letters, uh, answering people's uh, doing, you know, live Q and a, as well as personal private message Q and a with people and answering scriptural questions and seeing all the different types of argumentation that believers face it's so amazing to see that the, some of these same arguments from 2000 years ago are still being spread around today. And it's just, it's sad. It's amazing at the same time. So hopefully um, as we complete these different parts and I go through the different types of doctrines that the, that had to be addressed and dealt with and explained, you know, by the apostles and the, and, the disciples of Jesus as they were making their own disciples. Hopefully this will become a resource for you so that you can then go out and share when you encounter these and when you see these 
Um, when people try to convince you of these, you understand, okay, this is where they're coming from. This is why they think this, because they're, you know, maybe they're not familiar with this book or this passage or these ideas. So this, we're going to go over that. Hopefully it'll be a good resource for you. Um, and let's jump right in. Let's just jump right in. I think this will be good. Okay, guys. So we're going to look at Doctrines of Demons. And this week we are looking at um, this part two. And this is going to be our the false claim that we see having to be addressed in 2 Timothy. It's that the resurrection has already occurred. So let's take a look at this. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, 14 through 18. It says, remind the believers of these things, charging them before God to avoid, avoid quarreling over words, which succeeds only in leading the listeners to ruin. Make every effort to present yourselves approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. But avoid irreverence and empty chatter, which only lead to more ungodliness. And the talk of such men will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have de deviated from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already occurred, and they undermine the faith of some. So this is quite the claim here. These guys, Philetus and Hymenaeus, I'm not sure if I'm saying those right. These guys are actually um, running around telling people during the days of Paul. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy having to be a bishop over, I believe he's a bishop over Smyrna. I think I'm, I think that was right. It's in... Um, Anatolia, or what used to be called Asia Minor. And um, he's having to address folks that are running around and saying that the, the resurrection has already occurred. Now, from my understanding, when 2 Timothy would be written approximately around the time of AD 60 to AD 65, somewhere in there. And so this is a couple decades after the ascension of Yeshua. This is um, a lot of time for them to go out into the region and have already brought a large amount of fruit of discipleship to converts throughout the entire region. So now they're dealing with the actual congregations, the communities of believers in these different places, these different towns all throughout the Mediterranean. Specifically, there's a lot of them in uh, Macedonia, Greece, and, and what's modern-day Turkey today, but it used to be called Asia Minor. So <clears throat> one, of the, one of these, I mean, there's lots of things. Like you read the book of 1 Corinthians, right? Paul's having to address... Um, all kinds of things that are going on amongst the believers that shouldn't be going on, right? All types of um, sin. You know, the Philippians, he was really proud of. He thought they were doing great. He continued them to keep pressing towards the goal and running out in the race. But other ones, other congregations, he had to kind of reprimand, you know. And here he is have, have, as someone that's over at, at Timothy in authority because he taught Timothy and brought Timothy into the faith. He's encouraging Timothy, you know, to basically make sure he reminds all the believers of these types of concepts, right? That they don't find themselves arguing and quarreling over uh, over words, which can lead to the ruin of the listeners, right? Because it confuses those listening. In the same way, he's talking about men like these two here who have undermined the faith of some because the way they were, they've deviated from truth, specifically telling people that the resurrection has already occurred. Well, this is kind of a big deal. This is a huge deal. So let's, what is the resurrection of the saints? We need to define our terms so that we can know what was Paul actually having to address? What was the misunderstanding he had to clear up amongst those disciples? So here in this passage, we're going to parallel 
as a starting point from the law and the prophets. This gives us our, our baseline when we're studying scripture for what are these terms, where they come from. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the morning, and the earth will bring forth her dead. Okay, that's beautiful. So now bodies are rising in the resurrection. Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14. Therefore prophesy and tell them that this is what the Lord God says. O my people, I will open up your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So here it is through the prophet Ezekiel, the Almighty, the Creator, commonly referred to as Yahweh, is expressing through Ezekiel that there will come a time when he will actually raise the dead. Those who have died, their mortal bodies will be raised. They will, they will have life again. But will they get the same bodies? We're going to talk about that here. Stick with us. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But the idea of the general concept of the resurrection of the saints is that they're going to be actually raised from the dead, so brought back to life. Okay? This is a wonderful promise we see in the Old Testament. And someone has run around in, in approximately AD 60 to AD 65 telling people that this has already happened. So then what's going on for the believers that are alive if, if it had already happened? What does it mean for those who have not taken part in that, that have missed that resurrection event? And who's included in that resurrection? Who is supposed to be included in that resurrection event? When when does that actual resurrection event supposed to have taken place? Is it as these two guys have said, this Hymenaeus and Philetus? Uh, like, is it has it already occurred between the the days of you know Yeshua's ascension and and Paul writing this letter to Timothy in the early early half of the first century A.D. That that's wild. Now the reason why this is such an egregious claim is because. There is, there is a. As we're gonna, as we're gonna discuss here, this is the central hope and foundation. Paul talks about this in Romans eight. Talks, calls it our blessed hope. To have this idea of eternal life, right? What is John three sixteen? Right? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that who should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this is the fundamental promise that is granted to us through the priesthood of our Messiah, that it was always granted in the covenant promise to all the patriarchs from Adam going forward. This was that if you have faith that the Creator, you have enough faith in the Creator that you actually want to emulate His behavior, practice His ways, well, He was going to send His Son to become high priest over you, mediate for your wrongdoings, and then give you eternal life, raise you from the dead. So if that had already happened, what what is it for those who are left over after that? Because there's a timeline, kind of like we talked about last time in part one, as we looked at the timeline of the events of when the day of the Lord happens. So we're going to actually continue to, we're going to parallel some of that timeline with this topic as well. But more importantly, we have to understand that this was an absolutely detrimental claim to make to believers who may not know the law and the prophets for them to, for, for other guys to be running around saying, oh, the resurrection's already happened. Now, a lot of people like to point to Matthew 27, and they'll say, well, look, these people that were, it says that many righteous people were resurrected and, and got up and walked around Jerusalem when Jesus was resurrected. That's amazing. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Great. But we're gonna, what we're going to see in the descriptions of this particular resurrection, the resurrection of the saints, there's a specific time it happens, 
And there's a specific qualifier of what kind of body you get when it does happen. All those people in Matthew 27, they didn't hit the time qualifier, and the bodies they get are not the same bodies. And we'll explain that as we go over in, in great depth through the next few minutes. So stick with us. John chapter 5, this is our Messiah speaking, 25 through 27. This is truly, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Yeshua is saying that the hours come when those who are dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Okay, that's awesome. Those who hear it will live. All right. I didn't have I didn't actually have time to go into the rest of, of this chapter of John, but he actually immediately after this, he talks about a different resurrection where both the unrighteous and the righteous both hear and are raised, everyone's raised to life. But this was the first one because there's two moments of resurrection for saints, one before the millennial reign and one after the millennial reign. We're going to be focusing on the one that happens before the millennial reign, which is what Paul's context is about, what Paul preached about all the time, what he called the blessed hope, why he has to actually address this false doctrine that the, the actual resurrection of the saints had already happened. So the reason for this is because if it already happened with Matthew 27, well, then everything that Paul's been writing, because Matthew 27 happened, was, was a normal resurrection. People got their normal mortal bodies back, right? They got their regular bodies back. They raised from the, just like Lazarus. He didn't live forever after he was raised from that. He got his normal body back and he eventually died actually again at some point in his life. Same thing with all those who may have been raised in Matthew 27 with the overflowing power of Yeshua's resurrection that it may have spilled onto them. With that said, that happened 20 to 30 years before Paul's writing this letter to 2 Timothy. If, if the actual resurrection of the saints had truly already happened in Matthew 27, then Paul is literally for, for decades preaching in vain the hope of the resurrection to come, as well as Peter, as well as James, and as well as John. All of this, and this is why I say, stick with us, we're going to look at the qualifiers of when and what it looks like when the actual resurrection of the saints takes place. Who's included? Is it just a couple of people in, in the town of Jerusalem? Or is it all the saints? So we're gonna we're actually gonna go over the qualifiers. First Enoch chapter 50, 1 through 3. And in those days a change shall take place for the holy and elect, and the light of days shall abide upon them, and the glory and honor shall turn to the holy. On the day of affliction, when evil shall have been treasured up against the sinners. And the righteous shall be victorious in the name of the Lord of spirits. He will cause others to witness this, that they may repent and forego the work of their hands. They shall have no honor through the name of the Lord of spirits, yet through his name they sh shall they be saved. And the Lord of spirits will have compassion on them, for his compassion is great. Okay, so this is a, a unique a unique concept, given with some extra qualifiers. So on the day that the, the light shall abide upon the holy and the elect, this is the change that takes place. And they shall have glory and honor shall turn to them. These are some of the qualifying events promised to those who take part in the resurrection of the saints. They turn into a royal priesthood. That's the honor they're receiving. They're illumined with light. We're going to go over that in just a minute. That's the glory they're receiving, the light that is abiding upon them. It's on that day an affliction on which evil shall have been treasured up against the sinners. This is the wrath 
poured out on the world, on the sinners that we spoke about last time in part one on the day of the Lord. So now we have a link, a qualifying link to the moment that the holy and the elect have this change that takes place and light, the eternal light of life abides on them is connected to the day of the Lord. Let's keep going. Second Baruch chapter 30, verses 2. Then all who have fallen asleep in hope of him shall rise again. And it shall come to pass at that time that the treasuries will be opened and which is preserved the numbers of the souls of the righteous, and they shall come forth, and a multitude of souls shall be seen together in one assemblage of one thought, and the first shall rejoice, and the last shall not be grieved. Okay. Sorry. So before we go too far, all who have fallen asleep in hope of him shall rise again. Awesome. And a multitude of souls. Interesting. Okay. They shall come forth. Not just not just the people in Matthew 27. A multitude of souls together in one assemblage of one thought. This was not witnessed in Matthew 27. This was not. Yes, people saw the people that got resurrected. This was not the multitude that is promised at the first resurrection. All right, so let's keep going. What body do you receive at the resurrection? Why is it important to know the difference? What body do you actually receive? Did the people of Matthew 27 receive this body? And what's more, folks, actually, before we go further on to that, there's, there's actually more theories that are springing up in modern times, more than just Matthew 27. I always try to remind people that there's two different types of resurrections in scriptures. There's a resurrection of the mortal body. You come back to your mortal, regular life. Then there's this promised resurrection that we're defining for us here today that shows you this amazing promise that we get to be like Yeshua received at his resurrection. We get a glorified immortal body and everything that details. Very different. That's when you get your eternal life, that fulfillment of that promise for eternal life. It's at that moment, not if you're just resurrected back to a regular mortal body, which eventually will die again at some point. This is a huge difference. So in addition to people that like to look towards Matthew 27 and say, well, look, it's already happened. Well, that's okay. That's not, it hasn't already happened because those people did not live forever. And those people did not step into a ruling priesthood with Yeshua at the beginning because the day of the Lord wasn't in Matthew 27. That was his resurrection day. So some people take this view, even though there's no historical witness, there's no, um, there's no evidence at all of the scriptures being true they'll look to AD 70. This is more of a preterist view. Well, they'll try to say that Lord, the day of the Lord happened on AD 70. And then when you say, well, how is that? Because the great resurrection of the saints was also supposed to happen at that, that time too. They'll say, well, it happened then too. And you're like, oh, well, I don't see that. And uh, I, no one records that. All the details and circumstances that go along with it, some of many of which we'll be describing here tonight, they don't fit, qualify for that. So therefore, very hard case to make. In recent times, there's even another theory along this same vein, and it supposes that four or five hundred years after Yeshua ascended to heaven, there was the beginning of the millennial reign, and that the first resurrection took place, and the glorified saints came and lived on the earth and flourished in this wonderful utopian-like kingdom that had advanced tech, and there's no... There's no res there's people try to put forward evidence for that because of 
dilapidated buildings, buildings destroyed by natural disasters, buildings destroyed by war and fire through conquering nations, um, whole variety of concepts, buildings, you know, they try to put forward a, a case for that, but there's no, but there still misses a lot of the big qualifiers, which is the whole eternal life part and the righteous inheriting the earth forever part. Just like they rule under the authority of Yeshua who comes back to the earth at that point and stays here forever. So we talked about a lot of this in part one. So that's why I said it kind of blends into this idea. But more than anything, let's look at the body that is promised to a believer. You and I, if you believe in Yeshua as your Messiah, you trust in him for your salvation. You want John 3.16 to be a reality for you because you love God, you love his son, and you know that it's only you're only going to be able to be saved and resurrected to eternal life because of Jesus. And you're waiting for the hope of the resurrection to get your eternal life. What's that going to look like when you get that new eternal body? Let's look at it. So what body do we receive? Romans chapter 8, 11 through 14. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs, and we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. A lot of people like to take this in a very, what we what would you refer to as a spiritual manner. Well, they'll say, well, I'm already raised and seated in heavenly places with God. And this is where we always try to remind folks of literary devices that Paul uses in his writing, both metaphors, similes, analogies, um, and also something called prolepsis, which speaks about a future event that has not yet happened as if it already has happened, because that's how sure he is it's going to happen because God is faithful, right? So this is called prolepsis. It's an actual literary term. Please look it up if you're unfamiliar with it. And as a result of that, that's when we see in Ephesians, where he says we're raised with him and seated in heavenly places. Well, that's literally not true. That's coming to pass in the future, not here yet. So this particular statement in Romans 8.17 is more accurate to being literally true in the present that we may be glorified with him. And we're going to talk about the timing of when that happens, when you get glorified. But what does it mean that you're glorified with him? This is one of our descriptions of the type of body that you receive at the resurrection of the saints, that you may be glorified with him. Okay. So guys, I, I see your comments. I promise you guys, everyone in the chat looking at, oh, did he, didn't he read John 5 where it says the hour was coming and now has come when the dead will hear and those who hear will live. Okay. Please watch the rest of it so you understand. This is why we're going over all these verses so that you understand all the qualifiers, all the other descriptions in Scripture that you see that helps you understand why Yeshua is making this statement. It has come, but Yeshua has come because he's going to be the judge, just like he says in John 5 and 6, the rest of those chapters, the context of the rest of those chapters. 
He goes on to explain who is given judgment to raise the dead. It's not the father. The father gives that judgment to the son. Okay, awesome. So the hour is coming and now has come when the son will speak and those who hear will live. When does the son speak? That's what we're talking about tonight. What does it look like when the son speaks and what kind of body do you receive? That's what we're looking at right now. I hope you guys are actually watching and listening. Okay. So in Romans 8, 17, that's you're going to be glorified. So we need to look at this idea. What does it mean to be glorified? Yeshua was glorified. That's why it says we'll be glorified as he was with him. We'll be glorified. Let's look at Luke chapter 20, Yeshua's own words, 34 through 36. Jesus answered, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to share in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In fact, they can no longer die because they are like the angels. And since they are the sons of the resurrection, they are sons of God. Okay, interesting. So now we have a description that your body cannot die. Okay, Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 3. We're getting more descriptions. So Jesus just said we're going to be like the angels, even to the point where we cannot die. Let's look at another quick example of what an angel looks like. What do they do? What kind of capabilities do they present when they show up? Here in Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 3. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's, that's Mount Sinai. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire with, from within a bush. Moses saw the bush ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and see this marvelous sight. Why is this bush not burning up? It's not burning up because they're called ministering flames of fire, but it's it's a term for light. And that's why he's seeing this thing is ablaze, but it's not actually on fire. It looks like fire, but it's not. It's a light. It's a fire that doesn't burn, but it definitely gives off light. This is why he was a, this particular angel later was commissioned to go before the camp of Israel as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They had a wonderful night light for a long time. So let's keep going and we'll look at some other verses describing if Jesus tells us we're going to be like angels at the resurrection, what is what are some descriptions of angels? What kind of body is this that we're seeing? It's pretty interesting. Revelation chapter 1, 12 through 16, the angel that is sent to John to deliver this message from the Father and the Son. He gives us some description. Let's read it. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a fire. Guys, these are these are all descriptions of things that are bright. To be like polished bronze is something that's glowing, sparkling, bright, gleaming with light. To have eyes like a blazing fire that's gleaming with light. Okay. <clears throat> his voice was like the roar of many waters. He held in his right hand seven stars, and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the shining sun shining at its brightest. Another description of luminosity, right? He's bright. This is the body of this angel that came to speak with him. He's bright. Revelation chapter 22, 3 through 5 says, No longer will there be any curse. This is when the New Jerusalem has arrived down to the and starts the millennial reign. The same New Jerusalem that's here forever, that never leaves once it arrives. The throne of God and the Lamb will be within the city and his servants will worship him. They, his servants, will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night in the city. 
and they will have no need for the light of the lamp or of the sun. For the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Well, this is interesting. Okay. So his servants, those who rule and reign with him for a thousand years, have his have their name on the forehead. By the way, that's just going to be the their priestly crown like Aaron was given with Yahweh's name on the crown from front of that crown on their forehead. He's not literally going to tattoo his name on your forehead. Okay. It's talking about what was supposed to be the the Kadaris was supposed to be on the forehead for the priests. This is a, a point of rulership. This is why it says you'll reign forever and ever with them. So but also it says God will shine on them. And some translations says God will illumine them because this is like an angel who's shining brightly with the light of eternal life, being illumined by God's power in your eternal resurrected body. All right, Christopher Dean, brother, I'm going to have to put you in timeout if you're going to be offensive and you're not going to walk in love. Okay, I have to put you in timeout, brother. I'm sorry. All right, let's keep going here. Let's go to the next passage. It says in First Enoch five sixty eight, and for all of you who, for all of you sinners, there shall be no salvation, but on you all shall abide a curse. But for the elect, there shall be light and joy and peace, and they shall inherit the earth. And then there shall be bestowed upon the elect wisdom, and they shall all live and never again sin, either through ungodliness or through pride. But they who are wise shall be humble. Okay, so that means now those who are resurrected are going to have lights, just like you read in Revelation 22.5, just like we see the angels exhibit when they show up. They have this light, this wonderful emanating light power from within them. And they shall never again die. Um, but they all shall live and never again sin. We know that sin brings death. So if you don't have to sin anymore, that's, that's how you actually physically, literally fulfill the eternal life part. He has to give you that new heart with his laws written on it so that you never sin again. Therefore, you're never going to do anything that's worthy of the second death. It's worthy of death or anything that's worthy of the first death. So not only does your body different, right? This is the point of being glorified, that you have this body now that is perfected. It has the light of God that can emanate from within it. That's why you don't need a sun or, or moon or stars for light. You don't need the luminaries. You have your own light source within you. And you have a new heart that allows you to never sin again. This is a wonderful promise of the resurrection of the saints. That happens to a multitude. And we're going to find that further as we go. First Enoch 5 verse 9 says, And they shall not ever again transgress, nor shall they sin all the days of their life, nor shall they die of the divine anger or wrath, but they shall complete the number of their days of their life, and their lives shall be increased in peace. And the years of their joy should be multiplied. This is the eternal life promise, guys. And in eternal gladness and peace, all the days of their life. All right, so you're going to have eternal life. Let's look at 2 Baruch 51, 11, 1 through 2. And it shall come to pass, when that appointed day has gone by, that then shall the aspect of those who are condemned be afterwards changed, and the glory of those who are justified. Okay, interesting. The glory of those who are justified. So the justified receive glory. This is what Romans 8, 17 was referring to, right? That we should be glorified as Yeshua was glorified. Verse 2 says, For now the aspect of those who now act wickedly shall become worse than it is, as they shall suffer torment. This time about them going to the unrighteous side of Sheol. They've lost their body. Now they go into a place of emotional pain. 
because they know that the only thing left for them afterwards when they're judged before Yeshua is to go to the lake of fire. Whereas the righteous, also as for the glory of those who have now been justified in my law, who have been understanding in their life and have planted in their heart the root of wisdom, then their splendor shall be glorified in changes, and the form of their face shall be turned into the light of their beauty. They're getting illumined by God. God's light is shining on them, just like the angels exhibit. This is why Yeshua promises will be like the angels at the resurrection. It says that they may be able to acquire and receive the world which does not die, which is then promised to them. So another, another aspect of the timing, uh, even though I don't have it highlighted specifically, just keep this in mind, I, su I suppose. Another aspect of the timing of this is that your body, not only we, you have the, the ways of God written on your heart, you never sin again. Right now we're in the mortal corrupted body. And if anyone claims he's without sin, 1 John 1, 8 says that that man's a liar. We haven't gotten to the point where we have this new heart yet with, with his laws perfectly written on them so that we never sin again. That comes at the actual resurrection of the saints. We'll also have the glory of God, which is the light of God, the eternal light of goodness and peace emanating from ourselves to where we actually don't need the light of the sun or the moon. And we'll be able to acquire and receive the world which does not die. This is the new Jerusalem, Zion, when it descends to the earth at the day of the Lord, like we talked about last time, and it never goes away. We actually can go and live in there. That's our inheritance. That's our lot. So this is what's promised to us, to be resurrected and to be able to live inside the new Jerusalem. This is how we know none of these things have transpired yet. These are all incredible qualifiers. This did not happen in Matthew 27 before Yeshua ascended to heaven, and it definitely did not happen in AD 70. The kingdom's not here. The resurrected saints are not living in that kingdom, ruling over the over the nations. This did, definitely did not happen in four or five hundred AD. Let's look. At, let's keep going in the same same book, verses four and five. For over this, above all, shall those who come then lament, that they rejected my law and they stopped their ears, that they may not hear wisdom or receive understanding. When therefore they see those over whom they are now exalted. But who shall then be exalted and glorified more than they? So this is talking about the wicked. See, the righteous were glorified, given eternal bodies. The wicked used to rule over the righteous. But now after this change has happened, after the resurrection takes place, the righteous have eternal bodies. They live forever. And they've been given honor to rule over the wicked. Right there. They stand in the authority of the priesthood of Yeshua and the Melchizedek priesthood. Hey guys, moderators, I'm gonna let you take care of people that are trolling the chat tonight. Okay, just do what you got to do so people aren't aren't. That's uh, unfortunate, brother. I I'd seen some different fruit from you in the past, so hope that you can walk in love. Um, so basically, the the whole concept is that you've got the actual unresurrected folks see the resurrected folks, and there's a change in authority where the resurrected now rule over the nations as they do so from their priesthood with Yeshua as the high priest of that priesthood. This is what Revelation 22, 3-5 talked about, the rule and reign with him forever and ever. So as a result of this, guys, this is another huge qualifier. We know that this has never happened before because, you know, for one, the forever and ever part, 
this did not happen in Matthew 27, did not happen in 87, did not happen four or five years, four or five hundred years after Yeshua. These are all interesting qualifiers, okay? And it also tells you that the latter, that's those who are transformed and glorified, they have the splendor of angels. Those people who are supposed to inherit the, the new Jerusalem that comes down to the earth and live here forever will have the splendor of angels. Don't see them, never seen them, they're not here. There's nothing in prophecy that tells you they're going to be here and then they're going to go away. It says when this when this change occurs, that these particular people that are glorified, the resurrection of the saints, they inherit the land of promise and are here forever, ruling and reigning with Christ over the nations. They don't leave. They're not here for a thousand years and then go away somewhere. This is why we need to address this stuff. It's time to actually stop the nonsense and go by what the words in the scriptures say. This is our duty. This is how we accurately handle the word of truth. We have to be honest with the text. We got to put away conjecture and just look at what do the words say. The words tell us clearly the promise of the resurrection. Verse 6 through 8, same book, same chapter. For they shall first behold and afterwards depart to be tormented. This is those, the unrighteous, that saw the first resurrection take place and then stand judgment before Yeshua in Matthew 25. 31 through 46 says, part of the sheep and goats judgment. They depart to be tormented because they are deemed goats. They're the unrighteous. Um, got a couple super chats. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, West Blaze, for the super sticker. That's awesome, my brother. Uh, Chase, thank you, brother, for your uh, for your super chat. Connections bag and I have to watch later. You're... Okay, thank you, brother. Much love to you as well. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, but sorry your connection's rough right now. Hopefully it gets better. All right, so it goes on to say in verse 7, but those who have been saved by their works and to whom the law has now been a hope and understanding and expectation and wisdom is their confidence, shall wonders appear in their time. Now, this is the second time this particular book has used this phrase where it talks about those who are saved by my law. Guys, you understand that Yeshua is in his priesthood position. The Messiah, the Son of God, was sent to become your high priest to minister God's law on your behalf for your atonement, which is, leads to your resurrection. Your salvation is provided by Yeshua through the mechanism of his priesthood, which does the law of God. So this book's not saying anything abnormal. This book's just speaking proper understanding of the process of how Yeshua actually saves you. Yeshua doesn't save you the moment he died on the cross. Remember, he still had to go in the heart of the earth for three days and then get resurrected. Then he's ascended to the heavenly temple, Hebrews 4.14. So he can minister on our behalf. So there's a there's a process to the position of the Messiah and how he actually gets you to the point of receiving your eternal life. Okay. All right. So let's go on. It keeps continues here in verse eight. It says, For they shall behold the world which is now invisible to him. That's the new Jerusalem that's going to descend. And they shall behold the time which is now hidden from them. Okay. That's the eternity. Verse nine. And time shall no longer age them. And now another one right here where this body that they shall see and understand this is the righteous who are given the splendor and the glory of angels shall no longer age. Verse 10, for in the heights of that world they shall dwell, and they shall be made like unto the angels and be made equal to the stars. There it is again, made like unto the angels. No one has ever experienced that in the last 2,000 years since Yeshua ascended to the heavenly temple. Not yet. It's going to happen. hasn't happened yet. It says, and they shall be changed into every form they desire, from beauty into loveliness, and from light into the splendor of glory. There it is again. 
This is what Romans 8, 17, Yeshua is talking about us being glorified as Yeshua was. If we're heirs with him, what are we heirs of? We're heirs of the very thing that it's talking about here on the screen. It's that we descend into the heights of the world that they shall dwell in the new Jerusalem. We're inheriting the land of promise, the new Jerusalem. We also will be glorified as Yeshua. Yeshua inherits the land. Yeshua is the king of Israel. What is the covenant of Israel? Is that you get eternal life and live in the promised land, the new Jerusalem. Yeshua gets those same promises. He got his eternal life body. He's going to live in the land of promise. And we're going to experience those, those things with him as well. He goes on to say, 2 Baruch 51, 11 through 12. For there shall be spread before them the extents of paradise. Okay, that's, that's paradise being referred to as New Jerusalem. And there shall be shown to them the beauty of the majesty of the living creatures which are beneath the throne. And all the armies of the angels who are now held fast by my word lest they should appear and are held fast by a command that they may stand in their places till their advent comes. Moreover, there shall then be excellency in the righteous surpassing that in the angels. So guys, another promise, another amazing and beautiful promise of the resurrection of the saints that has not happened yet, but will happen, is that your excellent, your righteousness in the body that you receive will be greater than even the angels. That means your behavior will be perfected and you'll be greater in behavior than even the angels. We see that angels can sin. Genesis 6, Jubilees 5 tells us that. Gen angels can sin. Jude chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that, right? 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that. If angels can sin, that means they still have to have, they do not get the same promise because they already have their eternal life bodies. We don't. So when we get to the point of being glorified and given bodies like theirs, we're going to be given a heart that's actually greater than theirs to the point where the law of God's on our heart. We will never sin again. This is why Baruch is explaining to us that even our righteousness, that means our right behavior, will surpass that of the angels. This is why 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3, we get to rule and reign over even the angels. We get to judge angels because we are superior in them in behavior. That's how the Father, that's how the Creator's hierarchy works in judgment. The person who has the best behavior, he rules over others because the Father can trust him to do what's right. This is why Yeshua, who is without sin, who is perfect in all regards, both in the mortal flesh and definitely now in his glorified, resurrected body, he is king and rules and reigns over heaven and earth. Well, he's given all authority. He doesn't quite reign over the earth yet. We're going to go over that verse here in just a minute. When is the resurrection of the saints? If these two guys in 2 Timothy 2 were claiming that the resurrection had already taken place, so we see what is promised, what the resurrection is, according to Scripture, according to the prophets. Now, we also looked at what was promised those resurrected bodies would look like. The people in Matthew 27, <laughs> during the day, during the year that Yeshua was resurrected, they did not receive those type of bodies. No one in AD 70 received those type of bodies nor did they receive the actual kingdom that it was promised for those type of bodies. That's why it says that those type, of, those type of bodies that they received were able to receive and acquire the new Jerusalem. That didn't happen in AD 70. definitely didn't happen four or 500 years after Yeshua returned either. Here in 2 Baruch chapter 30, verse 3 through 5. For they know that the time which have, would, excuse me, for they know that the time has come of which it is said that it is the consummation of the times. But the souls of the wicked, when they behold all these things, shall then waste away the more. 
for they shall know that their torment has come and their perdition has arrived. That didn't happen at any point in the last 2,000 years. John 6, 37 through 40. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Guys, not only do we have the, the qualifier for when the resurrection of the saints takes place, it's at the last day. Not Matthew 27, not 80, 70, not 500 AD. The last day. What does that mean? The last day. We talked about the day of the Lord in part one. What does he say? It is the will of my Father that the person who believes in Yeshua will have eternal life and will be raised on the last day. That is what the Father wants for you. Think about what, he, what Yeshua just said for a minute. Your Messiah just told you that the creator of heaven and earth, all he wants for you is to be raised to eternal life by his son. That's what he wants for you. If you're out there, if you're struggling, thinking that God doesn't love you, the Messiah just told you that the father in heaven, the creator of all things, his will is that he wants you to have eternal life. This is what we've talked about in great depth on this channel, right? For many, many videos, we've talked about what does it mean to be a disciple of Yeshua? Yeshua did the, God's instructions for right living. It's called the law of God. And so do we. Yeshua tells us in Matthew 19, 16 to 17, if we want eternal life, do the commandments. We don't have to be, he doesn't say you have to be perfect at doing the commandments. He just says, do the commandments. Start to practice them. Leviticus 18, 4 and 5, he who practices these, these things will live. We all, we've been defining the ultimate definition of what it means to live. The Father says, if you do my covenant behavior, my commandments, my instructions for good living, I will raise you to eternal life. And he does that through the mechanism of his son being our high priest. It's very simple. The Father said, this is my behavior. I want you to act like this. If you act like this, then my son who's going to come and judge you as high priest is going to raise you from the dead. Because that's the kind of behavior he's looking for. That's the kind of people he wants to rule and reign with him. Is the people that are acting like the father's behavior, like the son's behavior. It's a very easy open book test, guys. Very easy. This is the father's will for you to have eternal life. He wants this. John 11, 21 through 24. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I'm using a snippet here, guys. As you know, most of you have read this story. He goes on to raise Lazarus back to life in the mortal regular body. He comes out still wrapped in, in grave clothes. Lazarus went on to live the rest of his life and actually die again. He didn't receive eternal life. Lazarus couldn't emanate light from within himself. He wasn't glorified like an angel. Lazarus didn't immediately go to the New Jerusalem and live as an inheritance. Because that, that's not the timing of all that. It's not the last day that Mar even Martha understands this process. 
she knew that Lazarus was faithful and was apparently had faith in Yeshua and was a disciple of God and of his son. So as a result of this, Martha understood Yeshua is the person that resurrects him on the last day, that this takes place, and he will get his eternal life on the last day. This is the great day of the Lord. Before we step into eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we'll, we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed with imperishable, and the mortal must be clothed with immortality. All right, guys, starting to make a lot more sense. We're getting this idea that we have to get to the point, even if, unfortunately, most people will die. But Paul's telling you, hey, here, hey I'm going to tell you a secret. By the time we get to the last day when Yeshua returns and this trumpet's blown so that the dead in Christ are raised, not all of you are actually going to be dead at that point. You're going to be changed in the twinkle of an eye. 99.9% of the people are actually going to die and then be raised up out of the graves like we read in Ezekiel 37. But Paul's expounding to say, oh, well, by the way, for those who haven't actually technically died yet, that actually see him coming down through the firmament, you're going to be changed in the twinkle of an eye. You're going to be instantly given your resurrection body even before you, before you suffer this uh, being dead and have to be put in a grave. Very interesting. But the point is that you get immortality at the moment of the last trumpet. This is the wind. This is how we know this isn't happened already. There hasn't been a last trumpet yet, guys. Daniel 12, 1 through 3. And at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress, the likes of which will not have occurred from the beginning of nations until that time. But at that time, your people and everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. That is the promise of the resurrection, guys. And many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, but others to shame and everlasting contempt. Then the wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. That's the light we talked about. Those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever, just like Second Baruch 51 explained. Matthew 24, what have we read, guys? What have we read so far? At this, the last day, the last trumpet, Time of great distress. That's not for, for whom? For, for the whole world. We see this. Let's look at Matthew 24, 29 through 31. It talks about the great distress as well. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. This did not happen in AD 70. It did not happen in Matthew 27. It did not happen in 500 AD. Verse 30, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man, that means you literally will see the Son of Man in the, in the sky. That is, that's what that term means, the sign of the Son of Man. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, in the sky above you, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. That has not ever happened in history yet. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. This is the great resurrection. Here's that last day, last trumpet, after a time of distress. So now Yeshua is preaching exactly what Daniel was preaching. Okay? Revelation 11, 15 through 17. Here's that last trumpet. 
Then the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. The loud voice is called out in heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was, because you've taken your great power and have begun to reign. Just, I know a lot of people like to teach this, guys, especially in a lot of mainstream churches. They teach that uh, we that that God's reigning on the earth already through his church and that we are supposed to make his kingdom a reality by establishing justice on the earth. But they seem to overlook all these statements to talk about his son is the one who comes back and establishes all that. This is what we're reading here. There is a point in time at the last trumpet when God, through his Messiah, through his Christ, actually then begins to reign on the earth. Right now they're reigning in heaven, but they're not reigning on the earth. Not yet. This is a literal term, guys. This is not talking about the spirit of God moving throughout believers on the earth to do good works. This is talking about literally reigning as a point of authority, someone that you can walk up to who you stand before as your king. This is going to be a literal point of authority where they will reign on the earth. Verse 18 says, The nations were enraged, and your wrath has come. The time has come to judge the dead and to reward your service, the prophets, as well as the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. This is it right here. At the last trumpet, when God sends his Messiah to destroy those who destroy the earth, it means he comes back to rout the wicked out. Never again will they destroy the earth. Also is the time to judge the dead. That's the resurrection of the saints to reward your servants, the prophets, as well as the saints who fear your name. It means respect your authority. This is the moment of the great resurrection of the saints. At the last trumpet, on the last day, after a great tribulation like the world has never seen before. Guys, what happened in Jerusalem in AD 70 pales in comparison to what Stalin did to Russians in the 20th century, or to what Germany did to the Polish in the 20th century, or to what Mao did to his own people in China in the 20th century. Pales in comparison to what happened in Rwanda. AD 70 was bad, yes. It was the Romans squashing one of their tributes rebelling against them in Judea. A lot of innocent people got killed and murdered. It's not the return of Christ. The bad guys won. The bad guys were not judged. They were not destroyed. The resurrection didn't happen. None of these qualifiers happened. That was not the time of great distress upon the whole world. That was not the last day. That was not the last trumpet. That was not a point where these multitude of resurrected saints come out of the graves and glorify bodies and look like angels shining with light. That was not when the New Jerusalem descended that the resurrected saints went into inherit. That stays on the earth forever. 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 I can't say this enough, guys. Forever. Let me say it louder. Forever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. The glorified saints will be here forever. They, the meek inherit the earth. We, we inherit the land. We don't go live in heaven. We live on the land. We inherit the earth. The New Jerusalem comes down through heaven to the earth. The resurrected saints inherit that piece of land and live as a point of authority in that land and rule over all the other nations of the earth forever throughout the entire millennial reign. And then there's another resurrection of the saints, the, the 
The remaining people that are judged out of Hades are destroyed. And there's only righteous people after that. It's a forever thing. That's why it's referred to as the last day. Because technically, the only thing that's counting a thousand years off is, is when Satan actually gets released for a short time. But other than that, it's literally the last, it's the consummation of the times, the consummation of the ages, like we read from Baruch. It's the last day. It's when things are coming to a finality. After a great tribulation like the world has never seen before. After last trumpet on the last day. Hebrews 11, 39 through 40. The writer of Hebrews is writing this approximately 40 years after Matthew 27 and the resurrection of those saints in Jerusalem that got the overflow power from Yeshua's resurrection. The point is, Yeshua was resurrected in Matthew 27 to give him this glorified body that we've been reading about. The other people, they got the overflow, were resurrected back to their normal bodies. They didn't get the first resurrection promise. Because it only happens at one point in history. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Yeshua is called the first fruits of the first resurrection. He was the first one to receive it. No one else receives it until altogether they receive it at the last trumpet on the last day after a great tribulation. Here, he, the writer of Hebrews 40, 40 years later tells us, These were all commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. So he's talking about people all the way back from Adam. God had planned something better for us, us. That means everyone in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 38, all the way back from Adam, all the patriarchs, including him who's writing this, as well as all the saints reading this in the first century, approximately AD 68, so that they together with us, they would be made perfect. We just defined all this, all this stuff tonight about what it means to be made perfect. You're made like the angels. You get eternal life. You never sin again. His laws put on your heart. You're glorified with light. You get to live in the New Jerusalem. That's when you're perfected. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 says that everyone from Adam forward, all of them together at the same time, will be perfected. This is the last trump. The last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, is, is rang out. That means there's six more that has to happen, as you read about in Revelation. Guys, thank you for your for your time tonight. I appreciate that you've given me this chance to expound upon these scriptures and jump into this idea. It's for people to say the resurrection of the saints has already happened and that they've already been on the earth and they went somewhere. They can't say where. That claim is this is is a new version of the same claim that Paul had to face in approximately AD 60. The lies of the enemy are not novel. They're not new. They're just repackaged for different generations, for new men who don't know God's word. That's all it boils down to. In his word, he gives all the qualifiers, all the descriptions, all the details that we need to know when and how we're going to experience his promises. I want to encourage you, if you've fallen for this particular false claim that the resurrection has already occurred, jump into your Bible, rewatch this video, read all these passages with your own Bible that I presented on screen tonight. Dig in, test everything I've said tonight. 
because this is what will give you hope that you have yet to receive the promises of God. One of the biggest and greatest ones is your resurrection to eternal life. So I just want to hopefully, you know, bless you. Oh, people are asking about the shirt. Guys, this is a shirt. Big shout out to Eric Rice. He sent me some shirts in the mail. This is a shirt, one of the shirts he sent me. Yeah, it's a good one. Got the seven domes, got the stars and the, the luminaries. It says the sky's the limit. It's a good one. Uh, taking back Nephi. Thank you so much. I appreciate appreciate the super chat. It's really kind of you. Looks like West Blaze has a question. Hey, brother, what can you say about the wording of Revelation 20, verse 5, that leads people to believe the first resurrection doesn't happen until after the thousand years? Well, you know what? You know, I can say a lot about it. Um, I'm honestly would be curious how they've come to. I'm going to put it on screen for us. I'm pulling it up right now, but I'd be curious to see, to understand, I should say, how they claim that this particular passage would lead people to think that the first resurrection doesn't happen until after the thousand years. I don't understand how that works, but, um, you know, you know, it is what it is. People, people, um, sometimes they just haven't read the text too thoroughly. All right. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until after the thousand years is complete. So this is, this would be one of the classic examples with plays of people that do this, that, you know, that we, we say on our channel all the time, right? We got to read for context. You can't just take one passage or one verse and pull it out of context. It's cherry plucking it and you build a pretext without your context and you get problems, right? So we go to verse four. Then I saw the thrones, those seated on them and been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded for their testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for 1,000 years. Okay. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the 1,000 years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Okay. So these two passages are just expounding to you the idea. Because like we talked about in John chapter 5, 27 through 32, Yeshua mentions two different resurrections, right? Those who hear his voice will be raised to life, and then there'll be another, another hour, which everyone in the graves, both righteous and unrighteous, will hear his words and be raised to life. So as we've talked about before, there's from Adam, just like Hebrews 11, 39 through 40 explains, from Adam all the way to the last trumpet, all the righteous are raised to eternal life. After that, there's still going to be people that have, that survive the day of the Lord that are considered sheep at the Matthew 25, 36, 30, 31 through 30, 43 judgment. They're considered sheep. They, they're the people that repopulate the earth, the mortal humans that repopulate the earth throughout the millennial reign. They're the people that this particular passage on the screen, the saints who are glorified to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years will reign over those mortals for that thousand years. Those people will live and die and will there'll be a second resurrection. But this particular context is trying to help you understand the first resurrection. Verse five just kind of goes into the idea of what about the rest of the people that live throughout time? Well, there'll be another resurrection. It's the second one that's inferred, hence the term first resurrection, because the second one is inferred. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother.
You're welcome, Alan. Hopefully it's a good video for you tonight. Uh, Carolyn, I'm not sure if you just got here, sister. I encourage you to go back and check out the, the front of the of this video. Um, the, the we've talked we've talked the whole premise of our of our videos tonight has been about Matthew 27 and those who were resurrected as the overflow of power came from Yeshua's resurrection and spilled into the graves of those around them and resurrected people from Jerusalem at the same time. Um but they were not, they didn't live forever. Those people did not participate in the first resurrection as we've been defining tonight. So I went out through all the qualifiers for the first resurrection, how it's a great multitude of people made like the angels, given eternal life, given the heart of God, perfect behavior, illumined with lights, inherit the new Jerusalem, all happens at the last trump after a great, great tribulation of the earth. So check out the earlier part of this video, sister. I think you'll be blessed by all the details I try to lay out. Thanks, C. Marie. Yeah, there's there's a ton to look forward to. This is why the enemy wants to steal this message from you, right? They don't want you uh, to understand how much there is to look forward to. They want you to think that you're on a spinning ball and a purposeless existence waiting for nothing later, right? They don't want you to look forward to what the Creator has promised you. This is why we are addressing doctrines of demons. So just like the heliocentric models of doctrine of demons as well, um, this this is absolutely this idea that you've missed the resurrection somehow. No, this is it's the doctrines of demons. All right. Um, taking back Eden Fe is asking, newborn again Christian. Just wondering if you think end times could could be stopped during our time if it is the will of our creator. Thank you. Um no. Uh, it's 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 not the will, um, and for my understanding. No, um, the end times is simply a term that's been used for the consummation of the ages, as we discussed tonight. Right, uh, the culmination of events that happens leading to the the actual dissension of the Father and the Son and their house, the New Jerusalem. So they, he wants to be here among us. He wants to have his son reign on the earth to create peace. He doesn't like the non-peace that's here. He doesn't like the wickedness and injustice and violence and everything that goes on in the earth. He wants this to come about. Um, and just as Peter talks about, he's not slow in coming because he's forgotten or that he's never coming, but he's just because he's merciful and he wants as many to be saved as possible before he shows up. Um, so I don't think it can be stopped because he's already determined a specific day and hour that this is going to happen that only he knows. So he, um, I don't, I personally don't think it, it could ever be stopped. Why would you want it to? I want the creator to show up. I want his son to be here. I want their kingdom to be here. I, I want peace on the earth. I don't want to deal with all the nonsense we have to deal with today.
Thank you, moderators, for uh, keeping the chat civil and being um, and showing lots of good fruit while you do it. I know it can be a challenging job sometimes, especially when people are being antagonistic. But I appreciate all you guys for being cool and keeping things running smoothly. All right. Hi, Miss Deidre. Have a test of the gospel of Nicodemus. Uh, a lot of people like to pair the gospel of Nicodemus um, with the topics we've talked about tonight. And they also do with the first book of Adam and Eve as well. But both of them highly inaccurate to scripture, to the Torah, to prophecy. Um, I I wouldn't, you know, I hate to, I hate to say this. Because of the nature of the topic I'm having to address, I'm going to have to give a definitive answer. Normally I'd say, we're going to be, we'll show you on, you know, um, Honor of Kings, but um, no, the Gospel of Nicodemus does not pass the test, in my opinion. So, all right, guys. Because I don't, the reason I say that is because I don't know when we're going to be able to get to it on Honor of Kings. So I'm just going to give you the answer now. But, um, due to the nature of the topic. And I know that there's, there's communities that use that book to promote um, forms of preterism, which is what we're addressing with this video. So I just have to give you the, give you the shortcut answer. Yeah, Tyler, that's, I mean, see, you know, as we've been discussing this tonight, Tyler, you start to see how it cuts through so many lies of false doctrines that, that, other religions and other sects try to pick up and, and deceive people with and fool people with, right? Just like uh, with Mormonism, not only that, but you also see that, you know, they believe in a totally different cosmology because their, their belief set was invented after heliocentricity was introduced and started to be pushed in the modern world. So yeah, they don't even understand biblical cosmology. So yeah, there's a, there's a ton of, ton of reasons why when we're defending the truth, and it, we just have to know what God's word says so we can dispel some of these, these uh, claims of false teachings. Okay, SBM.studios is asking... Uh, I can't tell if you're asking the second question or if you're asking the first question. If you asked the first question, I didn't see it. So you, I apologize. Maybe it wasn't in all caps. Maybe you, you put some keyword in there that got flagged and auto auto deleted um, through the filters that are set up. But um, I would ask you for the question here about partial preterism. I would ask you to define what you're talking about as partial preterism. How, how are you using that term partial preterism? And I could better answer your question. Uh, 
Lena, Lena Haley, I think you're asking me this question. I, as always, try to put a, your questions in all capitalization fa uh, family so that we know you're talking to me and not someone else in the chat. But I'll go ahead and address this one just in case you are talking to me. I hear what you're saying. And I also would say, did not Yeshua do the same thing in John chapter 2 when he took a rope and started whipping the merchants out of the temple? They were going to make money that day. Was it righteous gain? Was it good money? Was it clean money? All pun intended with the, you know, the idea of a pig. Is it wrong to raise pigs? No. There's a purpose for pigs on a farm. They're, they're human vacuum cleaners, basically. They're not human, but they're, uh, they're vacuum cleaners. They're animal vacuum cleaners. Right? There's a purpose for pigs. I understand that. We're not supposed to eat them. There's a lot of assumptions, I should say, in the in the question you're asking, right? Is because think about this. We've talked about this, and this is why I'm addressing this question because we have talked about this in other other broadcasts. There's a lot to there's a lot of assumption in your question, and I'm going to match your assumption with some different assumptions, okay? Based off of the behavior of why Yeshua is healing the two men that are possessed with legion. And they have to live amongst the tombs, outcasted by the city and cutting themselves and crying and no one's helping them because they lived around an unrighteous city. They lived in an unrighteous region. The people of that town, after he healed, uh, like it says, and I think it's in the, the Luke account or no, maybe it's in the Mark account where he heals the guy sitting in his right mind and talking with Jesus. The townspeople see him and they're afraid of him. They're afraid of what they're seeing. Yeshua, Jesus came through and healed this man. This man was to the point of cutting himself and crying in a cemetery, trying to be chained up. The people couldn't help him. They just pushed him to the outskirts of town. Demon possession happens through abuse from occultic worship. Think about that for a minute. I've talked about this in, in many other videos. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Yeshua, or verses 1 through 2. Yeshua was sent to the land of darkness. He was sent to an area. This was Samaria at the time, but it was the area of uh, Naphtali and Zebulon. This, this is near the, the Gadarenes. This, he was sent to an area that was not righteous. This is why when he showed up, he's telling people to repent. That means come back to doing covenant behavior. Come back to doing the commandments of God. Yeshua is sent to a people that were doing wickedness and darkness. All the people around them, all the, the interflux of different nations within the Roman Empire passing through Samaria and living in and around them, worshiping Pan, worshiping Zeus. What, the, what went down at those occultic temples? Horrific things that creates open vessels for demonic possession. So I'll match your assumption with another assumption. The pig owners were extremely unrighteous people from that city who needed to repent. This is why people from within that city who needed genuine help to be released from demonic oppression had not been helped. Something to consider. But Yeshua came through and helped them. And the people were afraid of him. 
Travis Rainey, uh, the book of Joel. Uh, Doug, you're asking, would it be a bad idea to go to a Saturday service if there isn't fellowship near me? I'm not sure, Doug, if you mean a Saturday service um, through traditional Judaism or if you're meaning the Saturday service at a mainstream church. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, brother. You're welcome to clarify. Um, I would honestly, we, we here at the channel, we lovingly and, and sternly discourage folks from... Uh, non-messianic fellowships okay i'm guessing that's what you're referring to if you're talking about something specifically on saturday because you got to remember you know judaism rejects the father and the son they reject the covenant they reject yeshua your their high priest they're not of the same faith at all just because they claim that the torah is truth they've rejected the father his authority his son that was sent so if you're talking about that i would say i wouldn't encourage you to go to a judaism fellowship or a synagogue so hopefully that's something to consider. Um, Light of the Hill Ministries, we have talked about Second Ezra 7 on multiple broadcasts. I just don't know exactly what you mean as far as it's a, it's a, long, it's a lot of verses in that, that, that particular chapter. So I'm not sure exactly what you mean. If you could clarify, I'll try to address it. Okay, Doug, you're asking about just at a mainstream church. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't discourage you from going to a, a service any day of the week at a mainstream. I mean, if they're believers in Jesus, just because they don't understand, they may not understand some of the stuff we're talking about here today. Depends on the congregation. That doesn't mean you can't fellowship with them. Doesn't mean you can't be a light to them that doesn't mean you can't you know be there to to talk with them and be like hey that's awesome you're, you're a believer as well you you believe in the life death and resurrection of yeshua that he's going to give you eternal life through through faith in him be a wonderful conversation starter to say hey did you know that he's a priest right now over you you know what that means do you know where he's he's a priest at it's pretty pretty amazing you know you could have an opportunity with love and patience not not with arrogance which means overbearingness to inject yourself unnecessarily but just with love and patience you go into a traditional sunday church and trying to talk to those fellow believers in a loving patient way knowing that they may not understand where you're coming from at first which is why it takes the patience part right then you get to talk to them over time i don't discourage anybody from doing that whether it's saturday sunday monday any day of the week right those are your brethren in the faith they just have they're, in most mainstream churches, they're just sitting under bad discipleship, right? So if you feel you've come to a place of sound understanding, hey, let your brethren and sister know in the, in the mainstream church. <laughs> I dare every single... Every single broadcast, I feel like, Vader Bear. <laughs> Sparky, 
I would keep listening if you hear the word being preached, right? Just like we, we presented all the scriptures today. Um, regardless of the denomination, I would hear denominations are a made-up word by men. There's no denominations in Ephesians 4. There's one body, one Lord, one spirit, one Father, one God of all. There's no denominations. Denomination inherently means division. We're one body, one faith. We preach from the word. We do the word. We trust in our Messiah. It's that simple. I would encourage you to test our fruit. We got a lot of videos. I totally understand, Doug. I do. I do. Some people need it more than others. Some people desire it more than others. So they're extroverts. Um, I totally understand, brother. May the Father lead you to a good fellowship that you feel comfortable with. Um, just keep in mind, in that fellowship, man, there's going to be people from all different all different levels of their discipleship and knowledge levels and everything. So it, I, I've seen you in the chat before. I know you've, you've listened to us before, and I know a lot of times we talk about things that they don't talk about in mainstream churches. Uh, we go over scriptures and concepts and ideas that they just don't address. So that means there's inherently... There's a lot of people in those mainstream churches that just are not aware of everything the Bible is actually saying. So, yeah, brother, may the Father lead you to the right one, that you be a shining light, and uh, you also get get the fellowship that you desire. Uh, Jason is asking, who are the 24 elders in the heaven with thorns and crowns? Those are angels, my brother. Uh, the same angels created on day one. Um, all the angels were created with different levels of hierarchy, as we see explained to us in, in multiple passages. Uh, Enoch, um, you know, Luke chapter 2, Daniel chapter four, uh, 7, or excuse me, Daniel chapter 9, um, various different places. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, um, just various different places. There's Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 8 and 10, um, and chapter 1. You know, there's there's a hierarchy also in Ezekiel chapter 9. Angels are, are in different layers of priesthood, different ruling authorities and priesthoods that go and minister um, to people on earth on the Father's behalf. And so there's some who are archangels that are over others, and there's some who are under others, right? So uh, these elders are the 24. There's, these are part of the same group of all the angels were created on day one, according to Jubilees chapter 2, 2. And so these would be a part that was chosen and ordained to be close to the Father, to be a part of uh, his council for, so that he can declare a matter and, and, have, and have it heard by others, right? He does nothing without telling his servants, the prophets, and angels are definitely considered in the, in the, the place of a prophet as well. Okay, because they preach, exclaim, and hold and pass on the word of God, and at times are sent to do signs and wonders to proclaim the word of God or a message from the Father. So they, they're not only a priest, but also in the realm of a prophet, and the Father's standard is that he, he talks about what he's going to do to others before he does it. So we see this in Genesis one twenty six and Genesis 9.11. All right, hopefully that's a decent answer for you. Uh, Dietrich is asking, who are the zombies mentioned in Second Baruch? I, I'm not, I don't remember reading about zombies mentioned in Second Baruch, so I apologize. If you got a specific verse, I can take a look, but I don't remember reading about that.
Uh, Caleb, honestly, brother, we don't really focus on sacred name pronunciation stuff here. Um, we don't condemn people that do. We definitely don't condemn people that say it differently than others, right? We just, we just, we understand the Father is the one who gave the languages to the nations, and that everyone has a different dialect, a different wording, and that because of of the the language, the languages have been changed over time. None of us truly know what ancient Paleo-Hebrew sounds like, and so we don't really make that a point of focus or a point of contention as far as how to specifically pronounce uh, Yorevave. P.S. Yeah, um, when I have to, I've just been really busy. It's been a really busy season. Uh, we had lost. I just got back from a, of a funeral that ended up taking us eleven days, um, and so we we've just been really busy. That plus other things I have happening. So, but I do I do have people that want to talk to me. I don't like I don't like the actual debate concept. Um, you know, you guys see me try them in the past, but. Um, the formalized debate concept is boring to me, and I don't think it's productive to the listener either. Because you, you know, especially when they give you like 10 or 15 minutes to make your point, and then you got another guy making a counterpoint for 10 or 15 minutes. By the time the second guy's done, you've forgotten everything the first guy said, right? It's hard to actually, and the first guy, let's let me back up. And the first guy, he could have said in his 15 minutes five different points, and you're super interested in point number four, but he just made a, a monologue statement about those five points. And then now it's turned over to the other guy to make 15, 15 minutes worth of speech taking you. And, and it doesn't, you don't get live in a real time interaction as far as, all right, I made a statement. What do you think about that? Here's a verse on screen. What do you think about that? That's the kind of discussion that I would like to foster. And I know you, you're probably not, I, I know you're probably not asking about this in this way. I know you didn't mean it like this. I'm just clarifying for everybody listening is that I, I don't like the idea of a debate. I just want to have a discussion with another believer on why they believe what they believe, what scriptures they use to form that belief. Um, and are they willing for me to ask some questions about it? Because, you know, I'm going to share with them why I believe what I believe and what scriptures I use, and they can ask me any questions they want. Right. And just make it a natural flow. It's, that's, that's what I desire. Some people can't handle that. They just, they're too emotionally triggered or they're too impatient or whatever. I, I don't know. Some people can't handle that, but that's my heart. That's what I try to, that's what I try to dis ask people for when I reach out to them and say, would you like to come on and have a discussion about something? Some people just want to do a formalized debate with a moderator and time limits and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't want that. Okay, guys, we're here about an hour and a half. I'll probably cut it off soon. I'm scrolling back, looking through, looking through the chat. Hey, Anthony Dickinson's in the chat tonight. Good to see your brother. Guys, if y'all are not aware, uh, go check out Anthony Dickinson and Vader Bear. They host the show in Closed Cosmology. Hold up. Green for us to look at. 
So go check this out, guys. Go subscribe. They do a, a weekly show. They're they're they got a new channel and they're just starting. They got a round table where they do every Saturday nights. Um, and it's in closed cosmology fellowship, and they tackle different topics and con and some of the things we talk about here, some of the things you've heard our brother Ken Heidebrecht talk about, or maybe even Wesley's Jones. He and I talking about it on uh, Uncommon Ground. So they have some good content. Go check them out. And give them, we and Westplays and I were actually on one of their shows a few weeks back. Uh, so go check that out, and I think you'll enjoy it. Go subscribe. Oh, guys, also, let me let me pull this up too real quick. This is, you've, you've got to go, subs, uh, you, surely everyone's already subscribed to our brother Ken Heidebrecht, hanging his words. If you haven't, please go subscribe to his channel. Um, YouTube finally caught up to him. He was growing at a rapid pace. He gained like eight, six or 7,000 new subscribers uh, in like two weeks, but then they, <laughs> they, they caught on and they, they put the kibosh on him and stopped him from growing again. But guys, go check out his latest video. It's wonderful. This is a wonderful video. If you, if you want to um, give this to a unbeliever, or even a new believer who's coming into the understanding the fullness of discipleship, right? If they're trying to figure out if Torah is applicable, what does it mean? What is what's all this about? Uh, or what how many of the commandments apply to me? All that kind of stuff, guys. This is a short 13-minute video titled What Does God Do in Heaven? He just dropped it today. It's fantastic. Go share it, go like it, go give it a thumbs up, put it on your socials. This is an amazing video, guys. Short, quick, to the point, powerful. Um, absolutely go blow this video up, make this, uh, I, I would love to see this video have like 2000 views in the next two days. Like just share it as much as you can. This, this needs to, this one needs to go far and wide. Uh, it's a great video for newbies. So. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. I'm going to go to Shabbat on my wife. Hope you guys, if you're, if you're observing Sabbath, Enjoy your day of rest. If you think that's a crazy idea, uh, I would encourage you to look into the scriptures that talk about how it's eternal. We'll be doing it in heaven. When the kingdom comes, we'll be doing it forever. It's what the Father does, what the Son does. It's what we should do. Uh, as well as all the other commandments that apply to you, right? It's the Father's behavior. It's wonderful. So go check it out. And uh, we appreciate you guys. And we hope you have a wonderful night. Thanks for joining for this, this uh, Milk and Meat episode tonight and this part two of Doctrines of Demons.